This past Thanksgiving, I was blessed with an incredible surprise. Super unexpected. Over Thanksgiving, I turned the big 5-0. It feels pretty old. And, uh, you know, it's weird how age does that. Like, when I was 20, I thought 30 seemed really old. And now I found myself thinking, 80's not that old. So weird. Like, time is relative that way. Shocking. But this surprise was pretty great. My son Dylan and his wife Kinsey, they live in Nevada. And I know that they, they're kind of in that, you know, starting out phase in marriage. You know how it was. Some of you remember that. You're, you know, you're, trying to, you're struggling. You're making ends meet and all that good stuff. And they said there's no way they were going to be able to afford to come back for Thanksgiving, and I'm like, I, I, I made my peace with that, and then lo and behold, some friends helped cover their expenses, and they were able to fly up, totally, totally threw me off, you know how you, you see someone that's not in context, and you don't know what to do, you ever had that experience, you see someone, you're like, you're not where you're supposed to be, and uh, that's what it was, they show up, and I, I found myself speechless, which, as a preacher, that's a really strange feeling, I feel like I don't have anything to say, but it was so cool. It's such a great surprise on a pretty, pretty big weekend for me. Um, and I think about surprises that we that we get in life, and some of them are pretty awesome. Some surprises happen. Uh, sometimes surprises aren't so good. Uh, sometimes we get some surprises that we're like, ugh. But it's the good surprises that we tend to remember. Those are the things that we journal about or remember. We recall when a good thing happens. Has there been a good surprise that has happened in your life recently? Can you think of a, a good surprise that's happened in your life recently? Anybody? If you can think of something, just tell a neighbor real quick. Some expect, unexpected surprise was good. Just say it to somebody around you. Celebrate it a little bit. Surprises, they are, they are good. It's okay if you're shy already. It's still fairly early. You haven't had enough co- coffee yet. But it's cool to be able to celebrate a surprise, but we don't always expect them. And, uh, and part of, I think, living the life of a Christ follower is uh, maybe keeping our eyes out for what, what God might be doing that's unexpected. And we're going to be talking about that today in our text in Matthew chapter 2. I'm Pastor Ben. I'm glad you are here with us, whether that be in person or online. We see you. God is moving in phys- physical and digital ways. God is on the move and doing great things already this year. And uh, so glad you're here. We gather like this, like Christ followers all over the globe. You've heard me say this before. We are one big dysfunctional family of faith. And we're here because it was on a Sunday morning, a couple thousand years ago, that Jesus Christ of Nazareth did what he said he was going to do, rose from the dead, and that tomb was empty. And it changed human history forever. And that's why we gather just like this. So before we get in too far into the message today, could we just on the count of three take a deep breath? One, two, three. Let it out. Today we're going to be talking about a surprise visit. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, we pause for just a moment to acknowledge that you are King and Lord. You are Father and God in heaven. We pause to acknowledge that you are on the throne and we aren't. You are God and we aren't. And so we humbly approach your throne by, by the mercy of Jesus, your son. And Father, I, I, I know that each of us want you to do a mighty work in our lives. 
So, Father, would you move your, by the power of your Holy Spirit and help us to have uh, open minds and a soft heart to what you might be saying to us through your word? Because we know that your word never goes out without accomplishing big things. So, Father, as we read, listen into your word, study it, that you would do an am- amazing thing through us individually and as a church family. We pray this, pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Matthew chapter 2 is where we're going to be. So if you have a Bible or device, find that. I think it's really important to, to have that handy. And uh, so I'm going to be reading just the first 12 verses. And I realize that some of these passages, if you've been around church for a while, they can seem a little bit mundane. They can, be, they can seem like scriptures that we've read so many times. Ben, why do we need to go over these again? But as we've already seen in Matthew's gospel, we're not even that far into this study. And Matthew is very, very intentional about what he puts down. The sequence of events, these aren't these gospels that we read, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they're just not like a, a bunch of haphazard stories that they're just throwing in there. We're already seeing in Matthew, there are very specific reasons why he's recording what he's recording for us. So we need to pay attention, maybe with fresh ears, I know that's hard, to try to hear these passages again uh, from a fresh perspective. And if you've been with us already, if you haven't, that's okay, you can catch up. But from the start of this series, we've seen Matthew being very intentional. And he's very intentional in chapter 1, which we just finished last week, but that we, we have this, this coming king, this, this son of God that, that was going to be in the line of David. And we find that repeated over and over again. This, this line of David, this kingly person who was, uh, in the, the, the way Matthew puts it, this is the beginning of the story, the genesis, the creation, if you will, story of this, this boy king who would become uh, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so Matthew's using very specific language to call us back to the very beginning of God's plan for humanity back in Genesis 1. And, and that this, this child would be born in a very miraculous way, in a, again, calling back to creation sort of way. As the Spirit was hovering over the waters, the Scriptures tell us that Mary would have God's Spirit overshadow her. In the same sort of language, we have this creation moment. So Matthew's very intentional about what's going on. And this, this, this child would be the bringer of jubilee of all jubilees. That would be freedom and, 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 and new, new life for not just the Jewish people, for the entire world. And Matthew is very careful to show us that. And in, in one of those last phrases that Matthew uses in the genealogy, we find that we have a missing father. That Jesus was born of Mary, whose husband was Joseph. We have a missing father. Who's the missing father? God the Father. So Matthew already has been very intentional about what he's setting up for this gospel. And we also find, like we talked about last week, that his name was very specific. Three times we have that phrase, call his name. The first time, Joseph is being told, call his name Yahshua which is God saves, right? And then we have the prophecy from Isaiah. They shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And then finally, Joseph takes action and says, he will be called Joshua, God saves. So Matthew's been very intentional about this. And then last week we got this story of 
this teenage girl and what's going on there with her. She's engaged and we have this bewildered Joseph and we got some perspective from his take on the series of events. So we have one of many stories that speak to this odd royal birth this beginning stage of a king. And, and, and they, these are stories that we wouldn't expect. And so we're going to read another of those stories this morning. So hopefully I've given you enough background here. We can jump into Matthew chapter 2. And I'm just going to read down the first 12 verses. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, basically the experts in the law, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. What is Matthew trying to get at in these 12 verses? That's the question we need to be asking every time we open Matthew. Is there some things we need to know here that Matthew is trying to record for us? So let's do a rundown. Again, this is a very odd origin story for the birth of a king. Normally that would happen in a palace and there would be pomp and circumstance. All of these things, none of that seems to be happening for this child. We get this unexpected visit. So the family, let's talk about this, right? They're, they're no longer in a stable. We don't have any mention of what? A manger? None of that. We're told now that they're in a house. So we can kind of extrapolate from that that, well, they've been in Bethlehem for a bit now. I mean, the child was born, and maybe, maybe Mary needed some recovery time. That happens, right? If you've had a child, you need some recovery time. So she's there. Probably they're staying with relatives. And so they're there. Maybe they're waiting for the wheels of government to get through this whole census thing. So we know how efficient sometimes government can be. <laughs> And so maybe they're waiting for this census thing that they're still waiting for. So they're there, they're in a house. And I know that that kind of messes up some of your nativity scenes, that uh, this has happened now a little farther down the road. And then we have these wise men. Now, depending on your version of scripture, they might 
your English version might say magi. Maybe some of yours might say that, or wise men. As far as we can gather, these were not Jewish astronomers. So they were studying the stars, and as we can kind of already see from the text, they were also studying the text. They were actually paying attention to these ancient Hebrew scriptures. By the time the first century happened, the, what we call the Old Testament, which you know is not my favorite term for the first 39 books. It's the Hebrew scriptures. It's the first covenant. By the time in the first century, those scriptures had probably been handed around a bit. I mean, these wise men were likely from some of the same areas of other Bible heroes, like Daniel. And in fact, Daniel and his friends, if you remember those stories, were sort of people who were advising the king and that sort of thing. And that's what some uh, think that these astronomers might have been doing for the royalty in the east where they came from. But they knew the scriptures. I find that quite interesting. They're astronomers, but they knew some of the scriptures. And they're, they're on the hunt for this one who is born king of the Jews. And here's a hyperlink. Do you remember when we talked about hyperlinks? Was it last week? We talked about a hyperlink back in the day when you click on a word and it was underlined in blue and it'd take you somewhere else. Oftentimes in the New Testament section, the 27 books of the New Testament, when that happened, the hyperlink is taking you back where? You know, I don't like the term, but you know, Old Testament. We'll just use that term. It's what most of our English Bibles call it. But it takes us back to those first 39 books. And oftentimes it takes us to the Torah, which are specifically the first five. So they're looking for this king of the Jews, and where, you're wondering, where, what is, what's Matthew trying to tell us? Well, there's a scripture in Numbers, Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, that speaks of a star marching forth of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. So there's a sense of this king, that's what scepter is, and this idea of a rising star. And so maybe that's what they were they were trying to clue in. Maybe is this the star that they, they seem in the, in the sky? Maybe this is happening. It seems to be heading toward Jerusalem. And so they're keeping watch. And so that might be our first hyperlink, if you will, this morning. So then they go to the king who is in, as you'd expect, the capital city. And it's King Herod. And this Herod, there's a few Herods. This one is known as Herod the Great. I'm not sure who gave him that title. I'm guessing he chose that for himself. You know, they were writing business cards. He's like, Herod, what do you want, to, what do you want your title to be? And how about the great? Oh, that's humble. So we have Herod the Great here, and he's the one on the throne. And Herod's been there, well, I think you could argue, maybe around Julius Caesar time up to about 4 B.C. So this is kind of the time frame we're talking about. He ruled in that area for about 30-some years, 36 years and, uh, and so he, he's there, and they come to him, and it's, it makes sense. They go to Jerusalem, the capital city, because they've, they've got some inkling that God might be doing something. There's this rising scepter, the star they saw, and they've got to go to the experts. Where are the experts of the law? Where are the experts of Hebrew scriptures? Well, they think Jerusalem. They've got to go to the temple. That's where the temple is. That's where all the smart people are. So they go there, and, and Herod's there, and he hears wind of this whole king of the Jews, and of course... Does that make him happy? No. Why? Why is he not happy? Threat. The stories of Herod are not pretty. He would even kill his own kids to keep them off the throne. So not, not a 
not a great king, regardless of what his title was. And so he's concerned, and, uh, and so he asks these religious leaders, the experts in the law, he asks them, hey, what's going on? How come these yahoos from the east somewhere, these astronomers are coming and asking me these questions. You're the experts. What's going on? Is there someone coming? Should I know about this? And I find it curious that they know right away. They're like, oh, yeah, that's Micah 5. Uh, yeah, he's going to come out of uh, Bethlehem, actually. That's the city he's going to. They know his actual city birth. They know he's going to be coming out of Judea. They knew. That should at least give you some yellow flags or maybe a red flag that pagan, non-Jewish, maybe non-religious, maybe put them in that category, they're coming and seeking the Lord. They're paying attention to the scriptures and the good old religious folks aren't even paying attention. That Hold on to that because that may be something that Matthew wants us to see here. But they ask and the, the, the Jewish leadership, oh yeah, that's that's, uh, that's Judea and uh, Bethlehem. That's where it should be. They're not doing anything about it, but they give him the answer. And of course, that probably makes Herod think, well, that's great because that's real close and I can take care of this problem real easy, right? That's what he's thinking. And uh, so Herod sends the wise men basically to, to spy out where this child might be. And, uh, and so they, they head to, to Bethlehem because that's what they've been told. You can cue in the ominous music here. Dun, dun, dun. And the star, again, curious, the star guides them to this house where we find, Matthew just tells us, who, who's there in the house? Mary and Jesus. Those are the people in the house at that time. And so they go there, and when, when, the, when the star stops, here's the text, right? The star stops, they are exceedingly happy. They are ecstatic so much that, that they're, they're rejoicing with exceeding joy. They're, they're going overboard with how happy they are. Probably people in the neighborhood are like, just calm down. They're really excited, and, and they, they like fall down at Jesus' feet. They're worshiping, the scriptures tell us, and they bring gifts. Didn't they just hang out with the king? Did any of that happen for King Herod the Great? Were they falling on their knees? The language is curious, isn't it? The text doesn't say they did anything worshipy for the Herod the Great. None of that. They come to this place and they can't, they can't get over it themselves. They're falling over. They're bringing him gifts, valuable gifts. All of this is happening. I find that quite curious. And then at the end, they, they have this great experience. They see Jesus and Mary. I can't imagine what their conversations were like. I don't even know if they spoke the same language. And, and somehow they just they showed this joy and, and then they're warned in a dream not to go back to Herod and they go back to their, their place in the east without making that return trip to Jerusalem. Interesting that these pagans are led by a dream. Sounds very familiar to some of our dreams that we've already had in the narrative of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Is Matthew trying to tell us something here? So I have questions, like you probably have questions. Where's Joseph? Good question. I don't know. Matthew doesn't put that detail in there. Where, where is Matthew? Maybe he was at work. No, he's got to work for a living. He's there. He's like, well, this government thing's going slow, so I've got to get a job. So he might have been working. 
We don't know. He could have been there. And then we have these gifts. And I know there's been a lot written on the gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I don't know that we need to spend a ton of time on these gifts. But there's some symbolism that seems curious. Certainly gold for a king. Uh, Frankincense would have been something akin to incense. In fact, I have some at my house in my home studio, and I I light that when I'm praying sometimes. I don't know. It's kind of interesting. A little incense goes up. I don't know. It feels old school. But frankincense would kind of represent someone working like a priestly sort of role, someone that's like looking at the incense. And I think the Old Testament speaks of the incense going up to heaven, representing the prayers of the people. So there's, a, there's sort of a, a priestly divine element. So you got gold for a king, frankincense for that sort of divine priestly moment. And then you have this curious substance called myrrh. And, uh, and myrrh that had a lot of debate on exactly what, what it was. Myrrh has lots of different properties. Uh, some would look at it as like embalming type stuff, but it was f- like fragrant. And even in the first century, sometimes it was consumed to have some kind of properties. However you want to look at it, maybe there's still some skepticism out there, but Mark, Mark's gospel, Mark 15, speaks of another time when Jesus was presented with this substance, myrrh. Can anybody remember what's happening toward the end of Jesus' life? The cross. So that's pretty interesting. If that, was, if that was some kind of tie into his role that he would play, he's given this myrrh, which again would seem kind of odd. Why would we have myrrh here? But maybe there's something to that. I'll let you kind of look at that. I want you to study that. Find, find out if you can find some information on there. But what was up with this moving star? When we look up at the sky... When I see something moving, it's like, is that the space station? Is that Elon Musk just hanging out in some kind of a new spaceship I haven't seen? Is that somebody else trying to get up in the atmosphere? and come? We see stuff moving a lot. And sometimes it's a, you know, we call it shooting star, but it's actually probably like, like an asteroid just burning out or something. But, um, but it would have been interesting for them because these aren't things you normally saw in the night sky. And so they're, they're being led by this star locator thing it seems kind of unusual. Why would they be led by something like this? It seems miraculous. Well, here's something that I wonder if Matthew is trying to clue us in on. And it's a little deeper than the surface. If you still have your Bible handy, I'm curious if you would find Isaiah 60. Isaiah was a prophet. And we would call it a, like a post-exilic sort of prophet. So we have this time frame from exile and the people of, 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 that were in bondage in Babylon are now back in the promised land and kind of all leading up to the, the time frame of Jesus. Isaiah 60 is writing to some of this, and I find this interesting. I just want to read a little of Isaiah 60, just the first few verses, and see if anything sticks out to you. Arise, Shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and the thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your bright light. Nations shall come to your bright light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. And your daughters shall be carried on the hip. And then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart 
shall thrill and exult. Because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, the wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephath, a.k.a. the east. All those from Sheba shall come, and they shall bring, come on, people, and they shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. Do you see what I see? Centuries before, the actual specific gifts are even, at least two of the three are listed, the star that will arise. I think they might have been paying attention. These non-Jewish astronomers are paying more attention to Scripture than the good old religious folks. What is Matthew trying to tell us here? And we don't know who these guys were. Guys from the East, some people from the East, they were wise men. We don't know that they were three. Yes, they're three gifts, but we don't know that they were three. Again, sorry about your nativity. We don't know. But they're... They're from the east. They're not from Judea. They're not in the in crowd. Once again, Matthew will show us and introduce us to the outsiders. The outsiders who tend to be welcomed at the feet of Jesus. In Hebrew culture, we call them the mumsers. Those who didn't count. They didn't have all the right pedigree. And here we have these Outsiders welcomed into Jesus, into Mary's home. These outsiders, they didn't even know who they were. But these outsiders were, they were active. They were looking at the scriptures, seeing what God might be doing. They were, they were active, seeking out. They were willing to make the travel. I don't know how dangerous travel was then, but they were willing to do that, even with expensive gifts on their person. That seems even more risky. All of this And the religious leaders are right there within walking distance. And they missed it. Is Matthew trying to tell us something here? I don't know, is he? About the outsiders. Maybe we need to rethink who the good religious people are. Maybe we need need to rethink who's in and who's out. Maybe we need to rethink that maybe God is also opening the doors to humanity, anybody who would seek him. Who are you in this story? Are you, I don't know, maybe you're the outsider. You felt like you never got picked for the team. You feel like you've always been on the outside. And and when you get to hear of of a God who loves you more than you could possibly imagine, you're all in. You're like, I'm seeking that. I'm seeking that out. So maybe, maybe you're the outsider. Maybe... Maybe you're Herod, protecting your power, protecting your place. This is my space. You're pr- protecting your, your financial well-being. Where are you? Are you Herod? Are you the outsider? Are you the Bible expert? You know all the, the verse and text, and you can, you can recite it in several different versions, but you completely miss the point. Are you, are you that person? I don't know, maybe some of us have sort of been all of those people at some point. Are you, are you Mary? That by this point in her life now, she's like, 
God can do anything. Maybe you're now have come to the point where you realize God could do the unexpected and I'm okay with it. And that's, that's a pretty cool place to be. Are you Mary? Are you, are you one of those worshiping astronomers who, when you get close to Jesus, you just can't help but exceedingly joyfully worship? Where you realize, I, I don't even deserve to be here. And you're falling down at his feet. And you're welcomed into the home. You're welcomed into the family of God. Are you that person? I feel like that person sometimes. I don't even deserve to be here. Wow, who are you? Are you compelled this morning to, to have joy with exceeding joy? When the band leads a song, are you just like standing up and going for it? Exceeding joy. And maybe you're thinking, I want that joy. These wise men, these astronomers, have this celebration moment. Probably the people in the neighborhood noticed. You know, the last time I can think of where there was this joyful, exceedingly joyful celebration, it reminds me of Nehemiah chapter 12. And around verse 43, somewhere in there, where the people are back from exile and they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It's a symbol of God maybe hadn't forgotten about him. It's a symbol of maybe we're back. Maybe, maybe God's not done with us. Maybe he's still doing stuff in our time frame. And they can't help but sing and shout and hit cymbals and all kinds of stuff. And you, you see this picture of the people walking on the walls. And, and, and Nehemiah records that they could be heard, that celebration could be heard from, from long ways away. I, I, I see these wise men having that sort of moment. And I think they would speak to us. Are you having that kind of moment? Are you allowing God to do something unexpected? And is you, you allowing God to surprise you with such great, exceeding joy? So my only big point today is that we would be people who would be compelled to rejoice so greatly that other people can't help but notice. Rejoice so great that other people notice. Imagine us as a people, as a church family, having that kind of joy so that people outside might say, well, they're kind of weird that way. They're always like you know, joyful. But man, that's pretty cool. I would like to know what they know. What if people could do that when they see our lives and then we could be rejoicing with so great of joy that people ask? Because we as a people get to joyfully offer our lives to Jesus as worshipers. And we get to passionately spend our lives telling whoever is in our circles of influence of how great God is, of his love and his mercy. We get to be witnesses. We get to spend our lives being his witnesses. Writer and author David Platt wrote this a few years ago. Matthew gives us a powerful and, in many senses, prophetic picture of joyful, reverent worship. This text has the potential to change everything about how you think about your life, your job, your family, the entire world around you. These 12 verses that we just read teach us that the global purpose of God is the glad praise of Jesus Christ among the peoples around the world. The God who 2,000 years ago sovereignly arranged the stars in the sky, the God who sovereignly directed these wise men to the Messiah 
is the same God who has sovereignly arranged your life, your circumstances, your mistakes, your family, every detail in your life. He's arranged that. Your background. This God wants you to use your life to make the glad praise of Jesus Christ known among the peoples everywhere. We get to participate. God wants to use you. He wants to use me. That's what this text, probably more than many other things, would want to tell us. Rejoice so great that other people can't help but notice. I want to be that kind of person. I hope you do too. And I believe God will empower us for that because we've been forgiven much and we can share that with everybody around us. Expect God to do something surprising this year. In your life, maybe in this prayer and fasting time that we're coming up this week on, I encourage you to lean into that. And ask God, God, where do you need to surprise me? Where, where do I need to be willing for you to surprise me? That I would be a someone who would rejoice so great that other people can't help but notice. If you never said yes to Jesus, you could do that today. Please don't leave without doing that. Say yes to Jesus as your Savior and Lord, as your Messiah, the one who forgives and gives you new life. You can do that today. But for those of us who've said yes to Jesus, let's make our lives be a joyful moment where people see that and want some of that. Let's pray. Father, you're good and powerful. We come before you. We thank you for your spirit that's moving amongst us. Lord, we're thankful for surprises. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to be people that rejoice so much with exceeding joy that other people can't help but notice, that we would bring you glory. We would, we would direct attention your way and not our way. So, Father, use us in unexpected and surprising ways as we move into this new year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.